your account plan should really be that holistic living, breathing document that yes, you can re reference before you hop on a call, but it's also your strategy guide. And um, also like CEOs should be able to reference that. Um, I've heard of boards wanting to reference that for specific accounts. And so getting in the habit of blo calendar blocking for um, account planning in a really like proactive, meaningful way is absolutely crucial um, to, uh, to, to both you internally, but also your buyer, like, how are, how are you showing like what milestones that, that you're, you're hitting with them? This is Outside Sales Talk, the best podcast for outside salespeople. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and we're here to chat with the world's top sales experts so that you can get their best sales tactics to level up your game. Welcome back to Outside Sales Talk. Today, I've got Michael Tuso here with us, and we're going to talk about sales expansion strategies for field sales. Um, highly relevant topic for Outside Sales Talk here. Uh, Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. By way of introduction, Michael is the CEO and co-founder of Calypso a company that helps account managers generate more revenue through upselling and cross-selling. Before Calypso, Michael worked for over two years as the Director of Revenue Performance at Chili Piper. In 2019, he received the Beast Award for Best Sales Development Leader at Ten Bounds Annual Sales Development Contact, uh, Conference. Michael also has a book, uh, Crafting the Sale, Create a Sales Experience that Drives Revenue, impresses buyers and transform your career. And that'll be released later this year. So really excited to talk about the, this topic with you, Michael. Um, let's jump into it. First question, how important is it to attract the right customers in the beginning of the sales process to ensure that they'll be sticking around and, and, and doing business with you for years? Yeah, th thanks for having me again. Um, this is a, a really important topic, um, especially at, at this moment in time. Um, you know, I, I also can't think of a topic more important than attracting um, the, the right types of customers. Um, you know, the, I think the, the, the easiest and best person to sell to is, is the one that you already have um, for many different reasons. It's easier for you. Um, it's a you know better experience for them if you're continually creating value with them over and over. And so um, starting off with the right type of customer is the best way to do that. Um, and so I think it's, it's absolutely essential and critical to attract um, the, those right types of customers, um, you know, I, I think that companies should be doing like win-loss analysis. Yeah, you, know, I know you and I had alluded to, the, to that before to, to figure that component out. Um, I think properly qualifying and positioning in the market is essential to those things. Um, I think not doing things like hard selling people, um, you know, just to kind of you know, in sales, we say like throw over the fence and then make it someone else's problem. I think <clears throat> closing the right types of customers and, and viewing um, the sale is really the start of your relationship with someone. And so um, we're, we're also seeing like a huge trend towards um, companies focusing on um, expansion sales becoming a larger and larger percent of um, of, of the overall um, business. So I think, um, I, th I don't think you can ever really stop selling to, to your customers. And I also think that this is a, a crucial area where, um, where we can all improve. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more that 
you know, people, I don't think, focus nearly enough on doing business again or renewing uh, existing customers and also expansion sales. I feel like that gets really, uh, really overlooked by, by a lot of, by a lot of sales leaders and, and, and business leaders in general. It's so much easier to do more business with people that already trust you and like you yeah. so much easier to add, add more services, add more products. And I, I think a lot of people get this wrong too. And, and, and I've certainly seen this as a buyer and consumer um, uh, of, of software and other products like, uh, you know, they, it does, expansion sales doesn't just mean jamming your existing customers for a higher price. It means creating new, I, I think it, the, the, the smart way to do it is to create other areas of value and offer it to them like, Hey, for this much more money, would you like this as well? Uh, I think that works a lot better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think like some other things are like, how do you even map that out? How do you create plays for expansion sales? How can you create visibility into an expansion sales pipeline? These are very simple questions that often even large companies don't have very good answers to. Um, I also think as like buyer defensive technology has gotten better and better. Um, you know, I know a VC I tried to call and he had to put me in his address book in his phone just so that we could talk on the phone, um, you know, because it blocks numbers that aren't aren't in your book or, you know, someone who is uh, sending 20 emails a day and, and getting blocked, whereas maybe these things weren't happening five, five years ago. So what we're seeing is um, maybe companies are, are starting with um, fewer licenses or fewer um, not using the whole capacity of a product. You know, they're, they're starting small to build that trust. Um, and the expansion sale piece is is huge. Even people are even reevaluating how they look at um, typically really well worn metrics like a cost of acquisition. Um, you know, you might be looking at the cost of acquiring a customer, but you also need to take into consideration um, how expansion sales um, plays into that. So if maybe it costs you a little bit more to to initially acquire them, but then you really quickly afterwards have a a huge increase um, with the the ACV of that for the average contract value. Um, that's important to double click on it and look at. So even you know well worn metrics that we've used for years and years and years are are being spotlighted right now, and people are paying a lot more attention to. And I think ultimately that is healthier for our businesses, and it's also healthier for um, the customers in which in which we're selling to. Yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more. Um, what what would you say? Uh, tell me a little bit about your approach to doing win loss analysis. You, you mentioned that, and I know you speak about it a bit, and have some expertise here. Yeah. Like, tell me about what the process is for setting up uh, a successful win loss analysis process at a company. Yeah, I think um, I I think leveraging like a third party like company or resource is like really important um, here. But um, even if you're early on and maybe don't exactly like have the budget for it, um, getting in the habit of understanding causal reasons of why um, you're winning and losing deals, like. I can, someone just lost a deal with me to another company and I can like almost guarantee you that the close loss reason that they put in their Salesforce instance, like with 99% accuracy, I can, 
uh, almost guarantee you that that reason is not correct. Um, also, like the total percentage of calls that even make it into the CRM um, are very tiny, right? Like one company estimated it was like 3%. So um, the, the data that we're getting in the CRM isn't, I think we all can like have experienced this. It's not always like reliable. It's not always dynamic. It requires like human um, input. And so um, we're not, and, and we're in not... this case, honest human input, like, you know, it's, it's, it, no one's going to say, well, the reason I lost this customer was because I screwed up the relationship, right? They're <laughs> going to say, oh, it was on price. <laughs> and, <laughs> if, 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 if they even know, right. I mean, half the time, you know, it's, you don't know why you actually lost the deal because people don't want to be transparent. Like, oh, well, I, I like the other guy's stuff better, or I like the other guy better, or and, I liked, you know. Yeah, and even uh, more innocuous and less nefarious is that if you ruined a relationship, you might not even know that you did. And in this case of this company, that is what happened. It was because of the sales experience, but um, it's like you don't know what you don't know. And if you performed a bad sales experience, it usually takes a third party actor to kind of like tell you that. Um, and most people aren't going to tell you, Hey, I had a bad experience, but most people, exactly. are just gonna, they're going to walk quietly out the door and, and never come back to your restaurant. They're not going to be like, Hey, the, the waiter was rude or Hey, the food sucked today. Like they're just, uh, I'm just going to, I ate it and you know, it was too salty and I'm just not coming back. And the problem with that as well is that experiences stay in your mind. So now you have to like go back and correct that experience almost in order for someone to be able to like re-engage with you because to your restaurant example, you know, it's really easy to be like, oh, I don't really want to go there, right? There's um, a restaurant in town. I, I do that too. We went there the day of their opening. It wasn't all that it was hyped up to be. I haven't been back since. And every time it comes up, you know, that's just like a really uh, tiny example that happens in B2B sales, like every single day, like you have to go back and then like unsell <laughs> unsell the reason why they don't like you. And so um, I, I agree with, with, with what, what you're saying there. And so um, what will-loss analysis basically, I think, does is helps you capture reality much more clearly um, and, and, get, and, and be able to help you identify that um, initial, even like ICP, like were we even selling the right product to the right person? Um, so, and also I think like starting... Um, starting small often like helps you do these things and then you can expand big. And, you know, I, I would add the, the win loss analysis pieces and doing it well is so important because a lot of times you can't resell someone and, you know, get them to come back to your restaurant. But if you capture, if you capture the right information from them on the way out the door, like you could put the processes in place so that it didn't happen again with with the customers in the future, right? So even if you don't right. win, even if you don't win that person back, you can you cannot lose the next one if you get the the right win loss analysis uh, work in place and um, and then uh, and, and actually capture the data and, and execute on the data and, and and change your processes to to fix your screw ups. Exactly, you win or learn. Uh... <laughs> To, to, to quote Nelson Mandela, like he says, I never, you know, lose either win or, or learn. And um, I think a lot of companies can do a lot more learning. Yeah. And one thing that I caught there that might be useful for listeners, you, you did mention that you, 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 you find uh, actual tools being useful for your win loss analysis. Do you, could you mention a few of those tools and why, why that's 
why is that so valuable? Um, why, why do you find that to be so helpful? Yeah, I just did um, a podcast with a company called Closed, C-L-O-Z-D, um, and uh, they do a great job. They're growing very fast um, and um, ha have a great team. Um, so, so that's one company that's uh, that that's top of mind um, for that. And um, yeah, I do I do recommend that third party perspective. Um, it usually falls upon like product marketing um, uh, or RevOps for this type of uh, responsibility. Um, you know, to help you understand your your positioning in the in the market um, as as well as this um, this win loss piece. So that's one company that's top of mind for me. And and they enable you. I believe I'm actually not super familiar with their offering, oh, yeah. but I'm familiar with like the, the concept of software in the space. And they, my understanding is they it enables you to um, mm -hmm. uh, kind of have a have an automated way in which you ask customers for anonymous feedback about things. Like yeah, so they have like consultants that will. Um, you know, gather this information, upload it to a platform for you then to to analyze. So in that instance, that example I gave with the salesperson who had a, um, you know, probably thought I lost, he lost the deal for, for one reason. They would then, you know, I would then tell this third, third party the real reason um, and they would deliver that um, to the, to, back to the company. Yeah, kind of. Classic consulting stuff, but uh, you, you used to be doing, doing back back in my day. You could engage a consulting firm to do this, but now they've got it, it's a little more automated. I think. Yeah, like tools. Um, very cool. So, what would you say the, the what what are the differences in the mindset between a prospect and an existing customer, and and why is it so important to keep this? the mindset of, of your prospect or customer in mind when you're when you're selling your product yeah so i i think we need to um analyze the differences but i also think it's important to analyze like where the overlaps are um and i think the reason for that is helping you to um understand um and get in this mindset of um offering like continual value to them and um, again like not just um uh, stopping once you close that like initial deal. And so um, I I do think it is important to look at the differences though. Um, one of the biggest ones is that when you're selling to a current customer, um, you have to have a lot more context. So for example, um, if you're in, a, there's a SDR prospecting a company that I was talking to um, uh, the other day, and uh, maybe they're much more broad in their approach with a prospect that isn't a customer. But if you're trying to like expand within an existing account, um, that same strategy is like a lot more difficult to um, deploy. It ends up being a lot more technical. Like what is their product usage? Why are they a good candidate to be upsell or cross sold at this moment in time? Um, you know, all these, all these things are, are really important to have that context to even be able to open up an opportunity. Um, so on one hand, I think like we could be in a much more sales mindset with our current customer base, our install base than we are. But then um, after that, we need to consider the nuances 
of okay how do we how are we selling differently to them um and so the mindset i have here is like um the the best defense is a, is a good offense and so um not only does it help you um with your own revenues but it helps you create a stickier product offering um that then prevents churn you know i think sometimes we get like very like churn obsessed and it's like being a you know divorce prevention <laughs> uh you know we need to you know the the best way to to keep a customer is continually delivering that that value and then if you don't they're going to divorce you um and so i think this like offensive piece is often very um like law you know we have that with our pre-sales motion and then it's like where did it go and the deal will close I think part of it, honestly, is like dedicating resources to expansion to begin with. Um, I think it's really hard to put someone in a delivery role, like a customer success role and go, oh, here's a quota for you as well. So like, go help them deploy the product. And oh, by the way, like, I'm also gonna sneak this sale in or, or things like that as well. So I'm seeing a huge trajectory of people dedicate resources to full-time expansion um, roles. And I think that's better buying experience and better for the customer and also um, better for the business. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, we, we have, I, I think our the team that takes care of our existing customers is probably three times the size of our sales team. And, yeah. and, and that's reflective of, um, you know, where the revenue comes from, too. I mean, most money comes from existing customers and them buying more. I mean, almost every company that uses our product is they, they started out with one team or one person using the stuff and then it, it spreads around in, in an organization. So it's so important to, you know, help make sure they're, they're getting everything they can out of it and, and, and have it, you know, the team that works with, with those, with, with the existing customers. It's a huge, it's a, you know, it's a huge team. Yeah. Um, it, what about uh, the message? How, how should your message change? And how can you communicate your a message to your existing customers? Uh, different. How, how should that change from your your prospects? How do you like say, a lot of people's websites, for example? You they're really tuned for that. You know, the, the they're tuned for Google and they're tuned for uh, for for new customers who have never seen you before. Mm -hmm. How do you how how do you recommend communicating and how do you change your message for? for when you're talking to your existing customers looking for that expansion sale. Yeah, I this is a great topic cuz I think that in general I'm seeing like companies aren't even doing like exercises like white space planning or coming up with plays or like really simple things. Um and when you don't when you don't do that, you kind of are leaving things up to chance and they, you know, maybe they're discovery for example is a huge part of the the sales process like obviously it's it's not one of the check mark things but it's it's um it's a part of every step of the process right um and but what i'm seeing is is, is companies like try to teach their sales uh, especially in post sales um discovery um and they're they can't, what what actually end up ends up happening in practice is they're like kind of meandering around without really having like a true purpose when it comes to expansion sales. And I think a better way to do it is to come up with um, plays, like for example, 
this, uh, when we see this product type of usage, it also makes them a good fit for this type of product use um, as well. Let's create a play for that. Or they have a, they're trending towards an overage. Let's have a, let's have a preliminary discussion way before it even becomes an issue and proactively get that um, upsell like opportunity. Or based on what we see in our customer base um, uh, with this certain headcount, um, they actually could be using much more of the product. So like getting like really, really granular first uh, needs to happen before you can even craft the messaging. And then the messaging piece becomes like uh, much easier. And so um, when I was at Chili Piper, um, we we had the CS and AM role all together. And when we split them up, the revenue went up like dramatically. Um, the and the account managers were focused more on the holistic, like business side of the relationship. Um, and the messaging was, um, you know, very clear. Like once someone had realized value on one team, they would go in and, and uh, try to cross out like another team. And it was a fantastic like way to use plays to expand within a company. It makes them stickier, less likely to churn. Um, and so this identification piece coming first, um, then deploying the play, then deploying the message was absolutely critical to the success. I think it was something like 70% of the revenue um, in the month I left the company, uh, after I left the company came from that post-sales team. Um, and so- 70% of new revenue? 70%, yes. And so I, I, I think um, being like much more meticulous about like how we go about um, e expansion sales as needed. Yeah, and and uh, you, you ran through some acronyms there that are worth defining for people, like uh, the the CS, the customer success team, and the AM team, account managers, so the sales team. And you talked about splitting those for making two separate roles for that, and the big bump in in sales you you tend to get when you do that. I, I think specialization is so important in sales these days, and so many companies. They have the same people hunting new business as they have maintaining existing customers and farming mm -hmm. for upsell and, and expansion strategies. And if there's one thing you're going to take away from from this podcast about expanding your sales with with uh, within your existing customer base, I think that's the that's probably one of the major takeaways. So I wanted to highlight what you just said there. Uh, split out split out the customer success, the the, like the farmers that are growing your existing customer base, and and the hunters who are out you know finding new deals, you split those two teams, CSA or CS and, 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 uh, and, and account management salespeople. And, uh, and I, you, you can get fantastic. It's, it's one of the first things I recommend people do when they're, if they're, if they're, uh, companies in a sales slump. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, it, uh, it makes a real impact to your business. Um, and it uh, and it's a it's a better buying experience uh, for them as well. Now the company knows, you know, this is who I go to for the delivery side. This is who I go to for the business side. The specialization of those reps, um, you know, working together in an account. And now you start selling as one company, one unit, you know, selling and working with um, an, another company. And so, um, yeah, I could not agree more. What other strategies do you find to be effective um, to expand your your sales within a, an existing customer? Yeah, absolutely. So when you start off with first 
white space planning, which is identifying where are the opportunities for expansion, and you literally map that out. Um, that's thing number one. Thing number two is like coming up for plays for like those scenarios or basically, you know, kind of like stimulus response, like what happens in each given like situation and those would be like very contextual and different. Um, there are some like other major tools that people um, either aren't fully broadly adopting um, or in my opinion could be doing better at one of the one of those is account planning. So like it's a really difficult just like experience for an account manager if they are having to like comb through the notes, right? If I have a hundred accounts, you can't keep all that information in your head. And before you have every call, if you just like comb through all the notes, that's like not very sustainable. <laughs> um, and I, I, I think that's why like a lot of salespeople get burned out. And if we were much more methodical about that, like, okay, like this, um, you, how can we be like proactive about this with our accounts? Or at least like if we're tiering our accounts, maybe our top accounts, right? And so how can we create account plans, which is our internal strategy for first, making sure customers are hitting their objectives. Are they doing uh, what we said they would do and what they said they would do at the time of purchase originally? Like um, almost forgetting about the product adoption piece. Like are they hitting their goals of what they wanted to do of why they hired us via, via this product or service? Because if they're not doing that, you're not going to be able to like expand cross sale. It's going to be really difficult. So you have to start with the customer objectives. Um, I think the uh, adoption is a piece of the account plan. Um, I would argue that not as big of a piece as, as we have have made it seem. Because there's other factors that factor into revenue. Like, do you have an executive sponsor? How how multi-threaded are you in a deal? Um, so your your account plan should really be that holistic, living, breathing document that, yes, you can re reference before you hop on a call, but it's also your strategy guide. And um, also, like, CEOs should be able to reference that. Um, I've heard of boards wanting to reference that for specific accounts. And so getting in the habit of blo calendar blocking for um, account planning in a really, like, proactive, meaningful way is absolutely crucial um, to... Uh, to, to both you internally, but also your buyer, like, how are, how are you showing, like, what milestones that, that you're, you're hitting with them? So, so that's one, a, another tool. And then intimately tied to the account planning piece is um, account mapping. And so um, account mapping helps you go, like, much deeper into accounts to understand um, very, in a very visual way, like, what does the org structure look like of a company? Again, keeping this information in your head can often be um, really difficult, and a lot of times the tools that we have, um, you know, don't always do the, the best job of, of showing this information. So um, I was talking to a company the other day, and they went to send a renewal notice to someone who no longer worked at that company, you know. So um, I think it's important to get in the habit of um, being proactive with these things like account mapping, account planning, white space identification. And then when you start to do some of these things, what you get is visibility that you don't um, normally have in post sales. And when you have that visibility, you can start to improve on things, you can start to tweak things. And now your expansion motion really starts to be like well-defined um, and you can really have it be like its own really big, important channel that we know it is for companies. So those are, those are just a few tools that are top of mind. And 
let's double click a little on cross selling and upselling, especially given your expertise there with uh, with Calypso. Tell tell us about Calypso and, and tell us about cross selling and upselling and, and and what you think the best ways to approach that are um, to to grow revenue. Yeah. So in in general, like um, cross sell is selling something different, so a different product or a different team. Um, so the easiest way to remember that is something different. And then upsell is like more, you're selling more of something, um, is the, is the easiest way to, to, to remember that one. Um, and then in terms of, um, in terms of, uh, cross, uh, cross selling and upselling, um, there's the identification piece first, um, and then there's the execution piece, right? And that's where it starts to turn into its own, um, you know, type of funnel like you would any other sales um, sales funnel. And so, um, what do you do if you're trying to uh, cross sell a you know maybe a sister company or maybe a different department in the same company, but like you don't exactly know how to do that, right? Um, there's many different strategies you could deploy. The first um, is to try to get a referral, obviously internally, being that you have that like relationship. Sometimes people are unwilling to make those introductions. Um, and that's where a lot of people like give up. Um, I think that there's still like ways to um, leverage your existing relationship with the company to strike up those conversations and, and other departments, um, for example, to, or to, to get further um usage so 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 that's that's one big one is leveraging referrals but also don't give up um if if you um aren't getting that referral um when it when it comes to the topic of of multi-threading i always like to just think of it as like a rule of thumb so within an account like it's it's really helpful to have like a three by three rule i've i've also heard people say five by five which seems like a lot but three by three i think is a good start like how can you get three different people across um, in an organization talking to you and also like three down? So then you get a total of like nine people as just like a general, really general rule of thumb. Um, and now when we start having like a, a general rule like that, it helps us strategize um, better in the context of upselling and cross-selling. Like who are these people even? Um, what products can we potentially uh, sell there? Um, so what I, what I like to do is, is with this upsell and cross sell potential, um, again, if you're put, if you're mapping this out and making it like really visual, like take in your price book and then take in all the different, uh, potential departments you can sell in. And once you visualize that information, it then becomes infinitely more powerful than if, um, you know, onesie twosie, you try to get sale here and there, but like. How many sales leaders can answer the question, what is the total potential of your product in an account? And most sales leaders when they ask that question have no, absolutely no idea. And I think that that's a real danger because we talk about um, total addressable market when it comes to the net new logos. And then all of a sudden we get amnesia when we're talking about our current customer base. Like what, that's that question that we need to be asking is, um, no, it's not the $2,000 Google, you know, uh, account that you land, but it's expanding that, you know, that account to be, to, to be much greater to fulfill that full potential. And I think unless we're having the conversation about cross-sell and upsell in the context of what, um, what is the full potential, it becomes um, really difficult to have like a holistic conversation here.
Yeah, and this is something I've been thinking about a ton lately because we, you know, Badger just had our just added our second product, um, but you know, which has nothing to do with our first one, really. I mean, it's for generally the same end user, but a different buyer, right? So it's a it's a you know it's this video training product where we take mm -hmm. it's basically it's it's for the sales training. It's a sales training product. But it's a different person that purchases it, right? So it's the mm -hmm. sales, it's whoever's in charge of sales training in an organization who's the purchaser, which in a small company is the same person that purchases, you know, our, our flagship product, Badger Maps. But you know, it's yeah. the VP of sales in a small, it's it's at a small enough organization, it's the person running sales, right? But um at a larger organization, they have like a a, a trainer. Um, or someone in charge of training in the, through HR, in charge of training for all the different groups, and and so we we need to have strategies like this, and we're thinking about them right now, trying to you know, it's like we've got a company with a hundred sales reps using our product, and we're like, hey, uh, we have another product that these same hundred people would would really benefit from. How do we do? You know who to talk to over there? <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and I see a lot of times like people just like give up if they were like, oh, like the admin of the account uh, wouldn't give us the name of the person. And it's like, okay, wait a minute. Like, this is what I meant like earlier about like, you can't forget like sales skills in general, just because it's post sales. It's like, well, you know, you, you still have options available to you because an, ad, uh, an admin of your account, uh, you know, they're busy. Maybe they just forgot, you know, and I, I just see this dynamic of just like, oh, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to overstep, but like, you know, it sounds, you know, in your example, like it sounds like it, you know, someone who used to lead sales training, it sounds very valuable, but like maybe just the, the problem is like figuring out who the right person is and then, and then going to that person and, um, you know, when I was cold calling early in my career, one of the most effective things was like warming up my cold calls. I would book the majority of my meetings th through follow-ups. Um, the overwhelming majority of my <clears throat> my uh, meetings, and then and then and then converting also in, into revenue was from those follow-up calls. Um, and it's because I had like warmed them up in some capacity to whether it was I found out more information or I spoke with someone and they told me to speak to someone else, right? And then so it's like. Hey, I spoke to Bob and he told me to speak with Steve, you know, that type of, type of dynamic where you can warm up relationships just because they're a customer doesn't necessarily mean that everyone is warm within that account. And so like, even just like basic things of like, are we marking whether someone is like a detractor of your product or are we just like keeping that in our head and like hoping it all works out? You know, are they neutral? Do they not really care? Did they say something that is like, whoa, you know, th they're our champion. Are we multi-threaded on our champions? Um, I, I think the big thing here is like being like much more methodical with um, with post-sales the same way we are with pre-sales um, in many different ways. It's just a lot more contextual and maybe a little bit of a different of emotion, but a lot of those like same skills are, are still there. Absolutely. And, and for people that aren't familiar with, uh, with your day job here, what, tell us about Calypso. How does, how does Calypso help salespeople and uh, CSAs generate more revenue through upselling and cross-selling? Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, I mean, I was uh, the first sales leader at Chili Piper and even before then I, I was always kind of fascinated with taking, um, pre-sales concepts and almost applying them to post-sales with a lot of success in doing it. And then 
uh, finally, um, I decided to, uh, to, to work on the problem full time. Cause I've you literally, it's been in the back of my mind for like 10 years. <laughs> so finally decided to, to jump in and honestly, like super excited that I did. So, um, at Calypso, it's a platform for that, um, ex expansion sales person. Um, so starting with, uh, some of the, um, white space identification and then also account mapping. Um, but it's, it's like a, a full suite for that expansion salesperson to help them, um, to help them generate revenue. Um, and also as a, a sort of byproduct of that, it also helps with like churn and things like that. Although our focus really is on this expansion, um, piece as well. So, so that's what we're doing, um, at Calypso. Fantastic. Um, and, uh, we, how do you, how important do you think social proof or testimonials are when you're pitching to existing customers? Yeah. Um, so I think like, um, again, this is a great application of how like context really matters. So like the other day, someone cited some like billion dollar company that is not in my industry to me as they were trying to close me. And I sort of was like, uh, like it kind of made me feel weird, you know, like in the, in the, I'm like, you know, I'm nowhere near them. They're not even in my industry. Um, and, uh, it didn't, it didn't really make sense to me. Um, that was a bit of a pre-sales, uh, uh, process, but, um, I think it also applies to post-sales as well. Um, I think one thing that is overlooked is like showing before and after. So I think like if you have a story of how you're working with somebody else, just like me, and it, and you can show me a before and after instead of telling me, by all means, please do that. Because it's like, hey, um, you know, I was using Dodger Maps in this specific way. And then I, I, I actually, we sold them this other training product. And then it was really cool to watch like how both of those things like really took off. Like by all means, please show, show me that. Like I want to know that. Um, I think it's just like the way in which people are deploying social proof is just like from a buying perspective, it doesn't really land. Um, and so if you're using social proof as like a, a persuasive tool, it needs to be like making my life easier some way in deploying that piece of information. And so I need to gain something from it. And if you show me a before and after that, I do gain something from that because it, it shows me like how a similarly situated company like me, like started here and ended up here. Well, like that becomes like very aspirational for me, um, to also want to achieve those results. And, oh, by the way, you're showing me instead of telling me, um, now we figured out how to make social proof really relevant to a current customer and you deepen that relationship and probably can even open up an opportunity. So by all means use it, but I would just like not take like a random social proof and hope that it sticks. Such, such great advice. Um, tell me about the dreaded price increase. And sometimes, you know, sometimes the, uh, this is pushed on salespeople or CSAs. To, to drive a price increase through and there, or, or you know, I, know, I know a lot of CS teams have price increase goals. I personally think it's not a great practice in, you know, to, to, to raise prices on your existing customers, but to raise prices going forward is, is I think a, a cleaner play, at least in our industry. I mean, yeah. obviously this, this, uh, the, 
software is different than a lot of industries and you can't, but, it, but this is something that falls on the shoulders of CSAs and salespeople. Um, so I guess first, could you tell me about how you, how you think pricing increases and, and strategies there? How, 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 how should a company use those? What's your, what's your take on that? And then uh, how should salespeople go or CSAs, um, customer assessment reps, how, how should they go about communicating a price increase to a customer? Yeah, my brain is just like firing all over because <laughs> I'm excited on the topic. Um, so first, I think like for founders that might be listening, like I really recommend the book Monetizing Innovation. It talks about like how you can, you know, deploy pricing in exactly the right way to like really help your company, but also be good for um, for your 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 customers, your buyers as well. So I would I recommend checking out that book. Um, on the topic of pricing, like it really depends. Like I have seen companies just kind of guess and like uh, uh, raise the prices because they like go to a couple websites of like their competitors and like literally I have seen that done. Um, I, I I think in terms of like the pricing discussion, it needs to be like um, really well understood. I might even like test it um, like you know, as, as a small company, like this is obvious, this is something that's like really on our minds in terms of like getting it right. Um, I think it shouldn't really be guesswork, but more like a science lab or science experiment. And so figuring out um, what is the exact like pricing positioning, should you do bundling or, or, you know, are you PLG? Like all these questions are really woven together. And I think, um, I think it's, I think it's really important. I think, um, in terms of in terms of where you are in the market, um, that book, the monetizing innovation, I think really helps you dive deeper into like your pricing strategy um, as a whole. Um, but for expansion salespeople, um, you know, sometimes they're on the receiving end of like a decision made at the highest level, and they're just trying to do the best that they job, the, the best job that they can to, to, you know, raise a price because it was like mandated upon them. Um, a, a bad example of this that I've seen recently is some company had an intense pressure on them to sell a really high ticket, even for like five licenses or really small amount of licenses. Um, and then they got desperate at the end and did a $20,000 discount. And I've heard this like multiple times now. Um, and I just like doing like random discounts when you start really high with a price is like a very bad experience for the buyer. And it kind of shows that like, well, why didn't you start with that price to begin with? Um, especially like such a heavy discount. It makes it look like sloppy. It makes it look not really well thought out. And it even makes people feel like taken advantage of. And so there are instances where price increases, I think, do like make sense. Like if you're charging, you know, $3 for something, you know, for your CRM, like that's, that's probably not the, the best thing. A lot of times, like maybe there's a quality association there that is actually important to achieve without that doesn't take advantage of people, but like enables people to buy quality products, right? When I'm Whenever I buy uh, cheap flip flops, I get cheap flip flops, right? But when I buy a little bit, spend a little bit more money there, you know, and honestly, my experience with software has been the same. And so it's not, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I think it's more like 
how diligent and methodical are we, whether we're the one making the decision or whether we're one doing the actual selling? Yeah, this is uh, this is top of mind for me right now, um, and I'd love to get your take on on this since you have expertise here. Um, you know, we're actually considering raising our prices, not on our existing customers, but on um, uh, on new new customers that come in the door. Mm -hmm. uh, but not because I think we're priced incorrectly right now. Like I think I, I think it's a it's about where it should be, and and in terms of like you know the 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 where the where the curves cross the business school problem of like maximizing mm -hmm. you know the I actually don't remember the math there but they they taught <laughs> me how to, they taught me how to do it twenty years ago but I, I know there's a formula yeah uh, it involved calculus I can't do it now but uh, there's an analyst around here somewhere that can help me with that but yeah, exactly but you know it, in reality like um, price is a lot more complicated right mm -hmm. and part of it is where you're anchored and where what you were before and but but here. The, the reason this is top of mind for me, we have a, a competitor that, um, and, the, and the reason why I'm thinking about this right now, and we're, we're working on it, we have this competitor, which, you know, if you put our product next to theirs, ours is, is clearly better. I mean, like, you know, we've never mm -hmm. lost a deal to them. Like, it's like, our, we, if you've looked at both, you would choose us for sure. And they have priced their product $10 more than our product. They're, they're, it, it, it it's come up a couple of times. People are like, "Oh, I thought that was like a higher end version because you know it's it's more expensive." And I'm like, "It is not higher end. <laughs> exactly. It is not as good." So we're we're, we're like, "Well, I, I guess it's almost like the reverse of like the the what capitalism should do, which is drive prices down through competition. Like our our weaker competitor is kind of like forcing my hand to to charge more, and it's it's uh anyway that's that's uh i'd love to get your take on that situation because it's a, it's one that's top of mind for me right now yeah no i think that um is interesting i think there's a lot of things to consider um as well like uh you know on the topic of pricing like i know there's maybe maybe it gets to a point where a company is a certain size and maybe they get help from pricing firms out there that help them do this we're really far away from that. So um, what we're currently doing is we're testing pricing. So, um, and actually this, uh, when I worked at a much larger company, we actually did that um, on our website. We did like A-B testing and then that could give us really granular data. Um, and then the data would inform like top of funnel, like how we were uh, pricing, packaging and positioning you know, uh, the entire product. Um, so that A-B testing on the website was like really, really helpful um, for for that. I think we also tested it in the sales motion as well. And then we gathered data on it for a set amount of time and we treated it like a little bit of an experiment. Um, what happens if you um, aren't selling against that competitor. Is that competitor the, you know, the main one that you're coming up against every single time? Is that why you're losing deals? So um, if, if, if someone else is doing something that is great, but maybe there's a bigger picture of why I should keep doing the thing that I'm doing, or, or maybe I should change. Um, so I, I think just like really looking at like the situation holistically, um, our investors are really helpful with this here as uh, they always bring up things that I haven't thought of or new, new angles. So even just, you know, conversations like this one, 
um, are, are really helpful to considering things from new angles. Um, like one of the things we're, we're thinking of is should we have a free aspect to our product? So obviously that would like totally change your product, but it also is like a, a pricing thing too. And we're like, I think early enough on in the company where um, it's a good time to like have that discussion, but, um, but we're trying to treat everything like little science experiments. Yeah. Well, I think that's the best way to do it. And this is such a complex topic is, you know, it's more, more so in certain industries than others. I mean, if you're, if you're selling corn, you know, it's a, it, the, set, the price is set by the market, right? Whereas mm -hmm. if you're selling software, it's complicated in different markets, you know, yield different, you know, like the, the willingness to pay in India is much lower than in mm -hmm. the UK, right? Like, the, but you know, we, we, and we only have one price around the world, but that definitely like, you know, when we're talking to a, a pharmaceutical company in India, they, they're like, your prices are insane. Right. And then we're talking to someone in the UK they're like, why is your stuff so cheap? I don't understand. And, and across different industries too, like it, it, you know, a medical device company has a very different ability to pay than, you know, a company that has a, a lower margin product in, in yeah. a competitive industry. Right. And so it, and it's, I guess yeah. you know, there's a lot here to, to think about and to, to, that you have to consider when you're, when you're making prices and, and uh, you know, tweaking yeah. it, what the competition's doing, you know, all these things, but it's a, yeah. it's a, it's one of the more fun areas I think to exactly. think about. And what, well, what about for salespeople who are, or as, or a customer success associate, who's got a price increase pushed on them. So they're, you know, the, your, your company decides we're charging 30% more inflation, yada, yada, prices are going up. How do you communicate that to your customers? How do you handle that? Yeah. Um, on the previous topic you were talking about, uh, another thought you triggered that in the intersection of uh, expansion sales and um, price increases, which also relates to a couple of resources I mentioned, is the concept of bundling. Um and you know, like I think Microsoft is probably the most famous example here. <laughs> I, I was I was gonna say hi Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the most famous one. Everybody, you know, there's this graph floating around, I feel like every day on, on LinkedIn about, oh, I bet you didn't know how many users like uh teams had compared to Slack, you know, and then the the secret sauce is bundling. But I do think it is worth like thinking about like maybe the optimal way to, to reach um, your buyer is through bundling as a strategy. Um, I just think it's like really interesting to see how people position uh, products that way, especially in relation to to price. Um, was and, there a question? And for for yeah. us, we've, we've talked about that too, like our taking the new product and, and incorporating it in with, with the main product and just making the whole thing more expensive because all of our, not all, but most of our customers are salespeople. And this this other product, this training product we've made, it's nice and useful for all of them, right? It's basically like you know, mm -hmm. masterclass or Netflix or something, but all the videos are sales training videos, and the, you know, it's yeah. they're they're kind of good for everybody to have on their phone, and it's useful stuff. Um, so it, maybe we should just bundle it, and next time mm -hmm. it raises prices, just toss it in with the toss it in there. Um, yeah. So that's that's another that's another thought that we've that we have had. Right now, it's just priced separately, but. You know, we just charge an extra, you know, it's 30 bucks a month for the, which is a lot yeah. cheaper than the main products, half as much as the main product. But, um, yeah, but, but that's, uh, we, you know, we, that's definitely, uh, we, we, it's, it's interesting. I, it's funny how much 
how much of uh, this conversation is overlapping to my real my real life? Here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, yeah, they, they, these are uh, real issues that uh, every CEO down to every sales rep is dealing with right now. Yeah, um, for sure. Well, especially I'm with not, all the inflation and everything. I think pricing yeah. is kind of, a lot of it is up in the air at a lot of companies. Everyone's like, well, if I'm paying everybody 20% more, like, we, you know, we got to, uh, <laughs> money has to come from somewhere here that everything's more expensive, so. Yeah, or if it's getting harder to prospect, we still have to grow. Like, uh, it's not a... Yeah. Um, Someone was kind of signaling to me the other day, like, oh, oh, the economy. But the way that they were talking about the economy was almost like that I wasn't a part of it. I was like, <laughs> I'm in this economy too. Um, so it's it's just interesting the kind of like mindset, you know, when when something uh, that is perceived to be negative happens, how how people um, respond. But if if we all just decided, oh, times are hard, I throw in the towel, no one would transact, no one would do business. But I think the the innovators are are like, uh, oh, like what do we do? How do we respond instead of react? And and those are my favorite people to learn from. Absolutely. Um, and did we talk about how, how you felt it was best to communicate this stuff as a salesperson or did we, we, no, we, 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 do we distract ourselves? <laughs> we distracted ourselves, which I'm good at. So, um, I'll go back to that. I actually put a note here. So, um, price increased 30% more. This is a tough one. Um, I have seen salespeople be excited about this because it helps them reach their quota, um, even though it can be like uh, scary at first. So, well, um, and I've seen I've seen especially software companies put this into a quota for their customer success, their their farmer reps, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Like it, it's, I'm not sure how common that is in other industries, but like where there's like yeah, yeah your your expansion, it, this is a part of your quota, right? Like, yeah, they carve it off. And I think like, okay, if there's this company, their first deal was like tiny, right? And then they grew and they expanded their product offering and everyone was using this product offering. And just like looking at the product, it didn't make sense how cheap it was, right? It just like, just didn't make sense. And so if you raise the price of that to what everyone in the market or like the majority of people in the market view is fair, and that happens to be a 30% like more, it's like, okay, you're kind of like keeping level with like perception, right? And you've been building out these products, deploying new features, you know, I think the, a lot of these, the, these big changes in pricing, especially what for really new startups, like are probably common because they're starting to like figure out where they land in the market. Um, I'd say like, for me, at least, like it's been much more rare for like, post series B companies to like, uh, just in my experience in buying technology, I haven't seen as much of that huge um, increase unless it was like, oh, we have this big increase, but it's because we have the inter enterprise functionality and oh, we also have this low tier that you can start off um, into. Um, with, and now of course I've thought of a, a couple of examples where um, uh, like cadencing tools, that's a good example. Cadencing tools, actually, I remember when they were like 50 bucks a user, and then I got quoted recently, um, and, and and it was like $140 like a user. 
Um, so sometimes like companies, the sort of exception to what I just said is like when you get so big and everyone is like, everyone is using you um, and you're kind of like forcing the price increase. Um, I've seen that happen a, a bit. I mean, there's CRMs that do that too. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but yeah, so so that that's interesting um, to see. If, if you're a rep and you're having to um, deploy a price increase, um, I mean, the best strategy I've just seen is like normalizing it and, you know, putting your best foot forward and, and not feeling like insecure about it. Um, I've definitely been a part of pricing increases in the past. And one of the first things a sales rep uh, does is they unnecessarily like discount it. And it's like, well, wait a minute, the prospect didn't even ask for a discount, um, which is why like, I'm not the biggest fan of discounting because like, I think like, it's like, oh, here's our price. Oh, by the way, I can discount it for you. And it's like, well, they, why? well you didn't even let them reply. <laughs> so I think like, you know, um, you know. I think, I think Oracle trained the world on this, like in the, in, yeah. in the late 90s. <laughs> We've been dealing with it ever since. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're, like, exactly. they're like, this is our price and it's crazy, but don't worry, we're taking it 80% down for the end of the year sale. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and it's like, you know, this isn't like a furniture store going out of business, you know? Right. <laughs> uh, and, then it, and then it makes you, at Chili Pepper, for example, we didn't discount and people would get like so mad. And, you know, I would kind of explain it and then people would not feel as like, tense about it but i would just say like hey you know we actually think it's unfair for everyone to be paying different prices on a platform and it's a better buying experience you know if you just uh if if, if it's just the price is the price for everybody and it sort of was like written in stone mm -hmm. um and when i'd say it that way it was you know i'm reframing the conversation and that you kind of see people go ah you get oohs and ahs out of that and then they wouldn't be like so mad at me yeah. Um, well, and it's, it's challenging sometimes because you, you run into, uh, like if, if, if a deal gets transferred to procurement, quote unquote, to, to, to get finalized, you know, a lot of larger companies that they have a procurement department that does the actual buying after the, the economic buyer says, oh yeah, yeah, we want to, we want to buy this. The, and the procurement person's, you know, they they've got, they basically have a reverse quota on getting discounts out of people. Yes. Right? So it's, uh. Yeah, there there was an example with that where there was a third party procurement, and yeah, the salesperson just told them, "Hey, I'll tell the company that you got a discount." And they, I forget who I heard this from, but <laughs> it is kind of like this is like kind of getting into like how artificial this can be, um, and so I think like discounting can get in like really murky waters really quickly um oh so i mean I, the the quick the, i i think the easiest thing to do if you're if you're getting transferred to procurement is to gross the price up 20 percent and then give them a 20 percent discount find, yeah. find something to charge more for and then you're like okay and now we're taking it we'll take that away and now it's right back <laughs> a ceo i used to work with that used to say that he's like this is the price uh it's uh oh you need a discount okay it was this and then i gave it to you for that there you go you have a discount <laughs> I, I forgot to put in the extra price for the uh, special price for you it's it's just it happens to be 20 percent higher than normal <laughs> exactly there was a deployment fee i forgot to mention um, it is it is interesting how crazed people get 
about it. And it's more like the feeling, it's almost like a pride issue I've seen with like, some VPs of sales out there should be ashamed of themselves for how they have treated salespeople, especially ones that I've worked with, with uh, the extent to which they push them on a discount. Um, one of them did that. And then shortly he got fired afterwards. But I, I had a sales rep come up to me like crying about it one time just because he's like such a jerk about, you know, pushing this poor sales rep who was just trying to do um you know, her job. So it's, it's crazy. People get crazed about discounts, I think. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's a, it, it's, it's like, uh, it's like a shopping craziness. Isn't it? It's like, it's yeah. like, uh, this isn't Black Friday people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Walmart Black Friday. People are like pulling each other's eyes out. <laughs> uh, so as an actionable takeaway for our listeners, what can the salespeople listening to today do to start implementing some of these expansion tactics into their existing yeah. sales processes? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is, um, you know, if you're like a founder or CEO, is to like have someone full time doing expansion. Then if you are in a, you know, expansion role, um, it's adding this like pro being proactive through this, these like really essential visibility pieces. Like how do you even map out an account to tell what the potential is? How can you proactively white space account plan, um, create opportunities even like create that visibility where very often there is not visibility into what is going on in expansion sales. And through that proactive um, you know, work that you're doing, um, you will be a lot, more successful, you'll generate a lot more revenue, you'll have stickier customers that, you know, don't turn as much. And uh, it's a win win for everyone. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to attempt to summarize some of the wisdom that you've given us today here. Because a lot a lot of our listeners are in the car while they do this because they're in field sales. So, mm -hmm. um, so a ton of companies are focusing more on expansion sales today. And to, to do this well, uh, you want to start by figuring out who's your ideal customer and, and make sure you're properly qualifying prospects. That's, that's kind of step one and uh, will help, this, help, help things a lot. Next, you want to make sure you're doing a, you have a good process around performing win-loss analysis so that you can really understand why you're winning or why you're losing a deal. You want to try out tools so that you can collect feedback and then automate your, your win-loss analysis to make it easier. You want to be in a sales mindset, even with your current customers. And that means making sure that you stay on the offensive and keep providing value that allows for sales expansion with your current customer base and, and knowing your current customer base. I mean, for us, you know, it, it's it's funny how often like we'll we'll for years have you know, the Eastern, the Eastern, you know, sales team East, uh, Eastern half of the U.S. buying us, but not the West or vice versa. It's actually vice versa a lot. We, we see it for, for years. And, and, uh, and the, then, you know, the, they'll just get it on the other, they'll get it at the other half of the com company. And we'll ask, oh, why did that happen? There's like, oh, we, we never really looked at this. We never thought about it. I was like, did, you didn't talk to the other half of your company at all. And, and, we, and, and we didn't ask you, why didn't we ask? <laughs> like, how are we not asking this question? But, you know, it, it's, uh, so, you know, making sure you're communicating with people and you understand what the company looks like. Um, you want to 
identify the messaging that gets that can get more sales within a company and within a certain industry and make sure you're using that messaging that, that works with when you're trying to expand within that particular type of company or type uh, or, or specific industry. If you're in a sales slump or, or looking to do do better in, in, in sales with your team, consider, consider splitting your team into two parts. One, one team of reps focused on account management and, and, you know, so sales basically, and the other team focused on existing customers. So, you know, we often call that customer success, at least in software. But by spe by specifying those two parts of the company and, and, and two roles, breaking it into two things, your hunter people call it hunt hunters and farmers a lot. You almost always get a lift in in performance. Account planning and account mapping are both crucial to sales expansion. Knowing what your customers look like, you want to block time in your calendar and be proactive to to keep track of all these details so you can get a better a better view of untapped potential in your accounts. You want to use social proof when it's actually relevant to your customer and you want to use it in the right ways. You want to make sure the successful customers that you're highlighting are in a similar space to who you're presenting the story to. And you want to show a, a clear before and after um, view of what happened what, you know, for this customer when they started using your product. And that's a way that you can really show the value and people can almost set a goal for themselves. You want to take time to think about your pricing strategy very carefully and, and, uh, and don't be afraid to experiment with your pricing, especially early on. It's, it's easy to be wildly wrong about this. And uh, as a salesperson, if you do have to make a, a price increase, don't be insecure about it. Work to normalize it and, and try to avoid discounting. This has been fantastic, Michael. I really appreciate you giving us all your wisdom today. Um, where can listeners read more about you and learn more from you? What's the best way to reach out to you? Yeah, I live on LinkedIn, so uh, always <laughs> happy to chat with people there. So um, feel free to shoot me a message and uh, more than happy to reply. Awesome. Well, this has been a fantastic episode of the Outside Sales Talk. If you work in field sales, you'll love Badger Maps. The number one route planner helps you get 20% more uh, sold and drive 20% less. And you can get a free trial at badgermapping.com today. If anyone can think of any other sales reps that would benefit from the, these skills that Michael has generally, generously taught us today, um, definitely share the love and, and forward this on to them. Take care until next time, everybody.